with Aaron, Polly, and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. Welcome, 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 guys. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I hate to start the week talking about bad things, but we're going to start off talking about bad things. Bad things? Bad news. Oh, because Andrew's not here? (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, that makes me sad. Uh Um, But additionally sad is uh, DC had more cuts this week, Um, you know, which uh, we... They've been, I think this is at least the second round of pretty significant cuts this year. Deep I mean, cuts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not like, you know, hey, they let one person go. I mean, there were some, I should say, there were reorganizations. There were people promoted and people let go. Um, you know, with a lot of rumors on the street regarding, you know, the future of DC. You know, what what is it going to be, um, you know, at, come next year? And a lot of it was already in the works before coronavirus but coronavirus certainly hasn't helped the market right um so you know some of the 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 things that people are talking about is that a a number of dc creators you will see jumping ship over to marvel marvel um or you know one thing that did get announced this week is a while back jeff johns had uh announced that he would be doing a creator-owned line through dc and i'm assuming that got scrapped because well, DC seems to be navigating away from creator-owned work. It does, you know, yeah. and and so I mean, I think that's that's a big piece of that. So that w- that was probably in the works long before the this round of cuts, but it's just kind of coming out at the same time. Yeah, I think- we definitely, with all of these news that's been coming out lately, seem to be seeing a lot more interference from corporate ownership versus letting DC just run itself. Yeah, I think you know. Unlike Disney, who's fine letting Marvel, you know, be the idea factory and publish books and really not make any kind of profit, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, AT and T and Warner Brothers are really not letting DC do that. Well, and you know, remember the, you know, AT and T earlier in the year, the big rumor was that they were just going to get rid of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, just be done with it because it, you know, when you look at it in in the scope of their other lines of business, it just makes chump change. And the the the, the corporate strategy over there, the, the corporate uh, rule of business is that DC Comics has to carry a lot of prior debt on mm-hmm. its on its functionality. And so on, on its books, I mean, and so it makes it super hard for a DC comic with the with the current level of readership to show any kind of profit or success. Whereas, and you know, the Ble- bleeding Colar article was really clear on this yesterday. I thought uh, that at another company, a lot of these books would be profitable, yeah. right? Um, and and there was even discussion, and this has been a, something in discussion for a very long time is other publishers licensing DC characters for publication because they could turn a profit. The yeah. problem is is that Warner's uh, appears to be attaching a, a, a ridiculously high price on licensing. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's sad because, you know, there's, there's a ton of characters that DC is just not doing a damn thing with. No. Well, and it's interesting. Marvel has actually done some of that. Yeah. So, like, Marvel has Archie doing printing digest books for them. Mm-hmm. Marvel has IDW doing a couple of their characters. Well, I think but... DC has heavily invested in that market, and that is the profitable piece of their market. The middle grade, 
the the graphic novels i think that is the digital i find that they are investing heavily in that and in the in your standard um you know monthly floppies that's where they're pulling back uh you know the, the the one of the rumors going around is that the the structure that you see in future state where dc is kind of split into four lines of superman batman um justice, justice league, league and there's one more line suicide squad or something i don't remember maybe 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 it's only the three i feel like there's four though um you know the those that's basically the structure that they're going to proceed with post future state as well reduced number of titles um you know kind of having larger books that maybe have uh you know a backup piece instead of publishing 50 comics you may have 20 comics but they may be five dollars because they contain two stories kind of thing Um, and there's even the crazy rumor that i don't buy at least not at this point that they're looking to potentially get out of the direct market with floppies to go only digital for single issues and then only print the trades. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Of, I mean, here's I the think, thing. It's a lot of rumors, right? There, it's hard yeah. to say. And because DC is laying off, because they are um, not being fully transparent about what's coming up, um, right. and there's a, a, a lot of unknowns. So you got a lot of these rumors, um, and one of but the you rumors. Know, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say somebody's going to be first. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to be first yeah. and exit monthly floppies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, why not DC? Yeah, I feel strongly that the first one to do it will be DC, if yeah, not yeah. one of the the small companies that just can't afford to print the yeah you know, the monthlies, because we know a lot of these indie books don't make their money back on the individuals they make their right. money back on the trades right. yeah, right. I mean, and let's be and, honest, there's plenty of digital only titles but i think you know when we're, when we're talking about big companies it's either going to be dc or archie i feel that fully leaves the the direct market i think it'll be dc first i do um yeah well and archie still gets quite a bit of money from the digest versions at the you know yeah, the grocery stores and stuff like the that. But I, but I don't consider that direct market, right? I consider that they're not. You know, um, you know, the, and and Ethan Van Skyver on. Now, don't get me wrong; he's a douchebag. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but he said we always need to clarify that yeah, on this show. Yeah, yeah, let's let me make sure. I'm not saying that Ethan Van Skyver's a good dude. He's a bad dude. But one of the you know he he came out this week and he's like you know DC is you know going down the shitter and Jim Lee. Um, you know, keep an eye out because Jim Lee's going to be leaving any day now. Um, and, you know, I don't know that I disagree with that assessment. I disagree with everything else Ethan Van Skyver says. Um, I don't know that I that I agree that DC is going down the shitter. I think DC is is certainly in, in a state of change, and that's scary for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I also think that Ethan Van Skyver has some... Uh, has some grousing that he'd like to do about his treatment over at DC, his justified treatment at DC. (laughs) Um, I, uh, but you know, we, we talked about last week, you know, the new uh, editor in chief over there at DC, this is all change and it's, Mm -hmm. and change is scary. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, we're, we're, we're all used to a certain thing. Uh, It's, it's changing around. Um, I think that, you know, sometimes you ha- sometimes change is necessary. Sometimes it's not. I think it's probably probably a necessary change for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I we cannot continue. I say we. 
like I'm publishing a comic book right now. Uh, but we, you know, the, the comic book industry cannot continue to do business like it's 1980 anymore. You know, the the readership continues to dwindle. You're continuing to chase the do- the dollars of very few people buying books. You know, uh, Three Jokers was the largest selling comic this year, and it doesn't approach what was done in 1990 or 2000. I mean, the the numbers just aren't there anymore in terms of weekly comic book buyers. No, um, and, 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 and they all and like again. You know, most of those readers look like us. They they are you know somewhere in their late thirties to fifties, mm-hmm. and you know that is that's a problem. You know because you don't have the wellspring of kids buying these books, and that's for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is how freaking expensive it is to buy a comic book. Yeah, you know well, that that disposable entertainment is awfully expensive. I've said it over and over again. The next generation doesn't consume like the previous. The next generation doesn't want to own a physical book. They read things digitally. But more so than that, the next generation, you know, the people coming up now, they're not used to buying something and having it. They're used to subscription services. Yeah. They've been yeah. they've grown up on Netflix and you know Amazon Prime and things where you have a catalog and you get and it's on demand. demand. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm curious I, about this DC Universe Infinite, right? Like, I think I, with the right advertising, that is, we have talked long and hard that we would probably, you know, if there, we would pay for a subscription service, you guys do, you guys pay for yeah. Comicsology yeah. Unlimited, and it doesn't even include new books. Um, you know, I would pay probably a solid, and I think this is a high cost, which it would be restrictive, but I would pay a solid 25, 30 bucks a month. Um, which is what I pay in a week of comics, but right. I, I feel like yep. you can't charge a hundred dollars a month for a subscription service. I think no. you know for it's comics, be it's successful. yeah, it can be <laughs> successful. So I think you know there, there's a pricing structure in play there, but I think it's um, I do think that's the wave of the future. I do. It's it's got to something's got to change, and I think DC is driving that change. And the reason we're seeing so much negative press is because it's change, and comic shop owners hate change. Um, 40, 50 year old dudes don't like change either. Yeah. Uh, Well, and if I'm a comic store owner, I mean, uh, that's the scary thing. You know, these guys have 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 poured their heart and souls into their businesses. I don't know how those businesses survive. I really don't. There are comic stores that I just deeply love and I can't figure out how they survive in this environment. Well, I think you you know, and I, I, you know, I watch a lot of these. It's got to be a passion project. You're never going to, you're not going to, you never could, unless you were in the 90s, thrive as a comic shop owner. Um, You know, but I feel like the comic shop model will eventually have to embrace nostalgia more than Mm -hmm. embraces, uh, you know, embraces current Yeah, it's going to be a record store, right? It's going to be a record (laughs) store, or it's going to be one of those, you know, like niche toy stores that you see on like the toys that made us and things like that. Yeah. Um, You know, those that those have a following, those have a loyal following. And, you know, people go in to, to re- relive their childhood and pick up things that they liked as a kid. And I think that is the structure that will, that floppies and comics will turn into. Um, well, it, it has to embrace that. Them. Yeah, less of them, unfortunately. Yeah, and they have to embrace, you know, spreading out what they're doing. So even now, a lot of comic shops can't be just comic shops. They have to be comic and games or, mm-hmm. you know, some other stream of revenue as well. And I think that's going to become more and more what we see. You're going to have basically geek stores. 
Well, and you do make a good point on something, uh, games. I think, you know, the, the game market the is still thriving. Not you know, I mean, it has Magic and Pokemon, are they where they were, you know, when they first started, you know, 10, 20 years ago? No, but they're still pretty successful. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, you know, your, your D&D, those are, again, cult followings, you know, niche followings. But I think the... I don't know that you can call D&D a, a niche or cult following anymore. It's rather mainstream these days. Yeah, yeah. fair, fair. That's a good point. But All it, other role-play games are a niche following. At that's, right. that's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like if you go to a, a comic shop that has a D&D tournament versus uh, a Pokemon tournament, you'll see a noticeable difference in attendance. Um comparatively now i could be wrong and i don't disparage D, &D uh because i don't give a shit about pokemon um <laughs> but you know i just pokemon think about had a pretty big renaissance with the uh, pokemon go because yeah. it embraced new yeah. and with the switch games and such the card games always get a boost when people become interested in the property yeah well, well one thing you I... know go ahead Aaron. I... 2020 is an exception, obviously, yeah. but, you know, uh, certainly in January, February, before we were in lockdown, uh, when I would visit a comic shop, I noticed that the collectible card games uh, were much more in front, you know, uh, in the comic shops that I visit. Uh, and I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that you can turn over a table a whole lot faster with a collectible card game. Yeah, yeah, there was a store next to me that was only collectible card games and tournaments. Yeah, it it didn't even do board games or anything else. It just did those, and it was doing really well. And unfortunately, it died to, you know, to COVID because right. that's a market that it was built on people coming in and playing the game and buying and face stuff to face. There. Yeah, yep. buying 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 packs, buying soft drinks, buying you know there there's money changing hands when a collectible card game is going on. Yep. Uh, when you're running a and d, d game, well, you know you're probably looking at a four hour block and you're not able to turn that table over, right? Uh, so I, I I feel like collectible card games prior to pandemic were doing pretty good, just based on what I was seeing the 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 place up around the corner from me here, which has gone out of business during coronavirus. Uh, was having regular, you know, weekend tournaments and uh, Thursday night tournaments, that kind of thing. Um, you know, they're no longer there because you know lockdown. But yeah, they were doing really well before that. Yeah, thankfully, my game store, my regular game store, is one that had an online presence. Was already a huge part of what it did, so it's surviving really well because it yeah. didn't rely on that uh collectible card game you thing. guys in missouri have great game stores though they yeah, we don't, yeah. don't have that here in texas well <laughs> particularly, particularly my store is miniature market and that's yeah. nationwide huge with its shipping so yeah we have a couple of decent ones locally you know we've got um there's one i think dragon's den or something like that i feel bad that i don't remember the name um we have a warhammer store uh you know we, we've got a couple but you know it's for I've said this long and hard, you know, about Hampton Roads. It's not a geeky area. And right. they, they, we have a Hampton Roads Comic Con. Despite it's, having a naval base there, that, that always kind of astounds yeah. me. Because usually you see you see quite a bit of genre activity around a military base. It's picked up in recent years. You know, since we started this podcast, it has, it, and I blame it entirely on our podcast. <laughs> um, you know, it has certainly picked up in the area, but it's still not, you know, when I go to places like Florida or St. Louis, where, you know, I... I feels less hidden 
um, you know, that the, the, the geek culture is more embraced. I, I find those places very interesting because, um, you know, it, it, it's nice to see an embrace of that culture instead of it being like, you know, a guy eating hot dogs out of a, a package, huh. you know, well, after taking a nap on the floor. Story, <laughs> we do. We always come back to it. Yeah. St. Louis is a uh, type town where we have, on a normal year, obviously not this year, we have like four competing anime conventions. We've got, you know, three or four comic book conventions that are a decent size and a ton of little bitty ones. And mm-hmm. there is, it is definitely a town that embraces its geek. I am reminded of the uh, the game shop that was here in town circa 1979-1980 when I first got into D&D. And they, all of their D&D books, uh, you know, which was, of course, the, uh, the boxed first edition, the white box, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> was under glass in their, uh, in their shop. And it was That's called Chess King, you know, because they were primarily like a board game shop. But, uh, you know, they did have the D&D books, but, you, but could, could you give me the box of D&D under the glass? You had to get permission <laughs> to get into it. That's it great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but I am jonesing for a D&D game. Like, I, you I, know, I game I regularly, but that. I don't game with D&D right now. So I've been thinking about doing an AD&D game. I, it's been on my mind a lot. I have no idea why, but it just kind of came to me in the last week or so, and I, I'm jonesing to uh, run an AD&D game. I, and my introduction was 3.5, so I've never done an AD&D game. Oh. Well, and, and the great thing about AD&D, and you know, I'm, I'm sure we're going to get into talking about comic books any moment now, but the thing about <laughs> AD&D is it's kind of unrunnable, <laughs> you know, because the rules are so so goofed up. So, you know, you play it with one guy, it's not anywhere like when you play it with another guy it's just you know it's all house rules but uh anyway it's, well, on, it's been on my mind <laughs> well lest you think you accidentally tuned into a gaming podcast to uh, dungeons and dragons with Aaron, with Aaron <laughs> you know the, the last thing i'll say about the dc cuts um is that one of the things that does it there's two things that excite me about it one of them's real one of them's a potential which is one uh jeff johns and gary frank um are taking one of their you know something that was planned to be part of that creator-owned um killing zone was going to be the line uh from dc comics and it seems like they're bringing it to image instead starting in april uh there will be a jeff johns gary frank book called geiger um very interested in that because i that is, is just an amazing creative team i don't know what it bodes for batman year or earth one which i guess you know they said they were going to be doing a third volume of it uh but I guess maybe not anymore. Who knows? Um, so I'm very excited about Geiger. And the second is, you know, the potential that if Jim Lee leaves DC, you know, where would he go? Would he rejoin Image? As You know, would we get the band back together at Image? Or, you know, what, what would he do? You know, I think part of what we are seeing now could lead to a creator-owned renaissance because... Guys like Scott Snyder, Jeff Johns, Bendis, you know, that that have spent the past 20 years, 10, 20 years of their careers beholden, not beholden, but, you know, loyal to the big two, to DC and Marvel. There's no there's no opportunity there anymore. Right. And it's not just that they'll jump back to Marvel either, because. Marvel has had a few layoffs this year and Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have position. I mean, they'll have a position for someone like Jeff Johns. If Jeff Johns says, I want to go to Marvel, Marvel will find a position for him, but But not a lot of the other creators. 
a couple things. One, uh, I don't find Jim Lee to to be the creator that a lot of people thinks he is. No, uh, I don't disagree. I, I, he, I mean, he. Don't get me wrong. He was a very talented, you know, artist. Um, though I, I, I find his his design work less inspired than others. Um, but you know, I just I don't think he's the. I mean, like I, he brought uh, uh, Wildstorm over from Image when he came to DC. Right? Am I getting that right? Wildstorm. Yes. And yeah. Stormwatch. Um, I, I've never found any of that readable. I mean, even when DC's tried to relaunch it, those are not books that I'm interested in. And maybe it's just because it's just not not to my taste, but I can't help but notice they're never very successful at DC. Yeah, and I think that's because DC tries too hard to make them serious. Uh Uh-huh. And they're stupid-ass concepts, right? Yeah, no, I agree. They were were 90s-era concepts that that don't translate into our current time period. Completely agree. Um, but you know, when we talk about guys like Jeff Johns and, uh, Brian Michael Bendis leaving DC, uh, guys with that kind of talent are always going to find work. Um, mm-hmm. th- that, that's just, that's just the truth. And I mean, and it, and it may not even be in comic books anymore. It's, it could be in features writing. It could be in TV. These guys are talented. They're always going to find work. Yeah. And they what have I names d- that bring people to the book. Yeah. Now, the thing that that I'll say, though, is the the thing that works for them going to a company like Image is that you don't have the overhead that uh, DC has being part of a large corporate system that has to carry on prior debt. You know, your your book is your book at Image. And, you know, I I think that the, the accounting is much more straightforward than what you have in the DC system. Um, So, you know, they're, they're Guys like Bendis and Johns have a lot of opportunity over there. It's the same reason we see Scott Snyder doing what he's doing over there. Um, you know, yeah, you're ma- the the book is grossing less than it would if it was a DC book, but you're probably getting a larger slice of the pie. Plus, there's always the ability to be able to sell it to somebody like Netflix or Prime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you get those profits. I'm sure Greg Rucka is really enjoying you know having sold uh, the old guard to Netflix. Same right? with Mark Miller, and they haven't done a goddamn thing with his property. Not a damn, <laughs> yeah. What the hell? What the hell? But you know, yeah, I, there are some creators that just they come up with these ideas, they put out a book or two, and then they get them licensed, and nothing will ever happen. But they got the money for having a license. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And just sell it and resell it. But uh, yeah, I, 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 those guys, they're going to be fine, <laughs> right? Um, whether they write another comic book again, they're going to be fine because they they have other opportunities. I, I think that that. DC is making some bold moves, and I'll be very curious to see, you know, how much of the, these rumors are true and how quickly they act on them. Agreed. So, yeah, because they have to deal with the backsla- backlash of the rumors. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the only DC book that we read this <laughs> week. Um, now, don't get me wrong, you know, and I don't. I say that not necessarily as a bad thing because we will be talking very heavily about dc in january and february with future state but right now with a lot of books winding down leading to the end of um death metal and all that there's there's not a ton of dc i'm reading right now uh but i did pick up punchline uh you know it's punchline number one but it's really a one shot um and it is an oversized one shot written by uh 
Sam Johns, and James Tenyon IV. Uh, art by Mirka Andalfo. Uh, and, and features essentially the origin of Punchline as well as kind of an epilogue of what happened to Punchline after Joker War. Yeah, and I picked this up as well. Was not happy with Joker War at all. No. But on the last couple pages, they had an epilogue with Punchline that I thought was really interesting. The The epilogue being her coming out and basically releasing a public statement about how she was actually just a victim of Joker. Mm-hmm. And we all we knew she was lying, but it was well done. And that's what made me pick up this book. So the before we get into the content of this book and, and how we feel about this book, one thing I will say is that um, somehow, and I don't know when this happened, uh, maybe because they, they watched Spider-Man Homecoming and, and liked the de-aged Aunt May uh, portrayal by Marissa Tomei, we've de-aged Leslie Tompkins all of a sudden. Yeah, I noticed that when I was in here. It's like, when they say that, the the character is Leslie Tompkins. I did not recognize her, and I'm I'm just looking at it, it's like this is this is not Leslie Tompkins. I'm like this is hot Leslie Tompkins. This is like Diane yeah. Lane Leslie Tompkins. I'm like okay okay I'm on board because um, they have definitely de-aged her. She's got just a little you know a little stri- a streak of gray in her hair. Um, you know she she dresses younger. You know this is probably you know late 40s early 50s leslie tompkins um you know not not the elderly one we're, we're used to seeing i don't know when that happened but dc thumbs up um <laughs> uh, also one more comment before we get into the content of this book I, I i was surprised to see the words big titty goth girl vibes um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, big titty goth girl, girl girlfriend goals. Excuse me, um, in the pages of a, of a Batman comic book, um, you know, in in a chat room where where people are talking about punchline. But outside of those two things, which I I, did, I found I actually liked, I liked this book, Wayne. I liked this book quite a lot. I did too, and I did not like punchline in the the Joker War story. Mm-hmm. She did not appeal to me at all until that epilogue. And this was like a long extended version of the epilogue. I I suddenly like the character. Yeah. So what we, what we have in here is, you know, basically Punchline has a podcast that um, is released online and people are uncovering how Punchline became obsessed with the Joker after she was, you know, a victim of him in one of his crimes um, saved by Batman and became obsessed with him, basically tracking down um, the different places where his most iconic crimes were, trying to trying to understand him, and eventually going mad in the process and becoming punchline. Um, and people are starting to, based on that video released at the end of Joker War, um, and we, and, you know, it, it's something that you can totally see happening. People are embracing punchline. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're discovering her, they're seeing her as a victim and, and as a, a human being in her own right, and they are supporting her um, rather than demonizing her. And it's just... Well, and uh, the meta of great. it mm-hmm. is that's exactly what I was doing as I read it. Not that I was, you know, agreeing with her or anything, but I went from seeing this character as this is the new Joker sidekick. She's a bland character. There's nothing to her. To suddenly, she's a character. She's interesting. 
she is a master manipulator. Yeah. And that's something that we didn't really see at all in the pages of Joker Wars. But we see in here, she is pulling the strings of like people, like yeah. the entire city of Gotham. She manipulates Joker. She's not just this, you know, she doesn't just go along with whatever he wants to do. She has her own plan and he's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love the scene when she meets Joker where Joker has listened and sees what she's just done and shows up. And the first thing she does is stabs Joker. Mm -hmm. And it's basically a way to, to tell him that they're, she's, you know, she has her own goals too. And that, you know, she's not going to be the new Harley. Yeah. I recommend this book. It's a one shot. Um, even if you didn't like Joker war, it is. It explains why Punchline isn't just another Harley, right? Um, you know, it does a lot for her character. It has. It sets up an interesting. Um, it sets up an interesting storyline. Now, will they do anything good with that storyline? Probably not. It'll probably devolve into your standard, you know, Batman versus the Joker crappy story. But this creative team genuinely did a story without any real action but with a lot of character development and exploration, yeah. and I thought and it was I, really well done. I love the stuff with Bluebird and her... Is that her brother, her yeah, friend? her brother. Whatever. Yeah, I loved all of that, how he's going down the path of listening to this podcast and getting on Punchline's side, and basically very anti-Batman. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely check it out. It's four ninety nine. so if that's, you know, that makes you... You cough a little bit, just wait for a sale, but definitely check it out. Yeah, very happy with this one. It was uh first book I read this week, and it was exactly what I was hoping it was going to be after that epilogue. Mm -hmm. Well, before we hop into the Marvel book we're going to talk about this week, you know, we've, we've talked about, we've talked long and hard about, you know, the comics and, and comic culture. And Paul is all about long and hard today. I am. Um, <laughs> about, you know, about comic culture and how comic the general comic fan looks like us right doesn't embrace change that kind of thing and i think marvel has said you know what you're right <laughs> and instead um uh yeah and, and has embraced that by releasing or, or announcing that there is a new book coming out written by fabian nichesa um, i think art by brett booth uh, who was a dc exclusive for a while just going back to our earlier point uh x-men legends uh, which are in-continuity stories set during the 90s-era X-Men run. It goes on sale in February 2021, um, kind of exploring the blue and gold era of X-Men and, and getting into the reveal of Adam X, the third uh, Summers brother. And Yeah, I'm excited because that era is my jam when it comes to X-Men. Yeah. Um, so it says the third Summers brother mystery was first teased in 1993's X-Men 23. So we're going back 27 years. Um, so, you know, they, they're, they're delving back into that mystery and, you know, I, I hopped out of the Hickman era of X-Men, uh, and I, I, every once in a while I pop in, I read a book and I'm like, eh, but Aaron, are you still in it? No, I've, I've been buying it when they're on sale. Yeah. Uh, cause I, there are parts of that, like Marauders, I think is a great book. I love Marauders, but it just got away from me. Yeah, well, and, and that's kind of my problem is that uh, it, it there's just so much. And, I mean, X-Men could be published 
by its own publisher, right? I mean, yeah. it could be just a, just X Men Publishing, you know, X Men Comics Publishing. I mean, it, it could just be its own thing because there's just so much of it. I don't see how uh, you can be an X. Sorry, I don't. I don't see how you can be an X Men fan and read anything else. I agree because I agree. you have to it's read eight to months. ten books a month because, uh-huh. and that's one of the reasons I hopped out is you'd read a book and it would say, well, this happened last week in X Force. This happened, you know, this happened last week in Wolverine. See last month's yeah. issue of X Factor. I'm like, I just want to read this book. Right. <laughs> well, and it, it, you're right. I mean, the, the continuity covers all their books and you have to read them all to understand what's going on. And, and they'll always, there'll always be an event that's going to engage all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that's what I find so super frustrating about the X-Men books. I've enjoyed what Hick- most of what Hickman's doing over there, but it's certainly challenging to read. So I'm just picking it up on Comixology sales. Yeah. So that's, I'm interested I'm the in this of, I, I hate everything Hickman's done over there. <laughs> Be- and that's why I'm excited about this is because I miss the X-Men. I'm a big X-Men fan. I just don't like its current direction. And maybe that is because I'm stuck in the past of – what was X-Men when I started reading them? Yeah. Well, the X-Men Legends is for you. Um, but, you know, we all picked up, which is weird. I don't know why. Like, randomly, we all pick up Taskmaster number one. God, I love this book. But it was so, yeah. so, so good. Yeah. Um, you know, Everything it, that U.S. Agent did wrong, Taskmaster did right. U.S. Agent did not respect the character. It played the character for jokes and laughs. Taskmaster both does the character as jokes and laughs but also respects the character and shows you that the character is competent and the people in the world respect the character yeah jed mckay is the writer on this book and i i'm not sure that i've ever read anything by jed i'm looking up his uh his work right now and i see black cat uh and some spider-verse books so i'm unfamiliar with his prior work but he embraces the adventure and humor and action perfectly in this book this book had me from the jump mm-hmm. when it opens up with taskmaster playing in a celebrity golf tournament, benefiting the Magia, you know, the Marvel universe version of the mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was dying and him trash talking bullseye, you know, yeah. <laughs> I screenshotted that and sent that to you guys during the week because it, I loved it so much. It was hysterical. And you know, that this book, you know, uh, is, the mystery is somebody has killed uh, shield director Maria Hill. And I'm not really sure. I believe that Maria Hill is dead, but you know, that that's the the story that, that we're chasing right now. And somebody that the person who did it set taskmaster up to take the fall. It looks very much like taskmaster killed Maria Hill and, you know, taskmaster's like, well, Fuck, you know, I, I didn't do that. And then he finds out that the person hunting him is the Black Widow. And, you know, the 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 the, the deadliest person in the Marvel Universe, Black Widow, is hunting you. Taskmaster is justifiably concerned. I, this book had such a terrific tone. I was laughing. I, I was I was uh, excited the the high speed chase across the golf cart with him across the golf course and a golf cart was killing me <laughs> him throwing golf clubs out the back i mean i just th- this was terrific and i got to tell you i'm really excited about the next issue because it shows him going head to head with hyperion uh mm-hmm. from the squadron supreme i I got to tell you I, i'm digging this book i dig this book a lot even though i don't like this version of nick fury you know, uh, Nick Fury's son, 
apparently. Yeah, and you um, know, it, it took it caught me off guard because at one point he references, you know, everything I know I learned from Maria Hill, and I'm like, what? Yeah, because it's not. He looks like the Sam Jackson Nick Fury, right? But 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 he's not. You know, in in this continuity, he's you know he he, he they embrace this look of Nick Fury, but the, because the continuity is all jacked up, he learned from Maria Hill, not the other way around, like in the movie. So it was very like, hold on, yeah. Um, but you know it, that that was for me a small gripe. Well, yeah, and I, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, mention the artwork from Alessandro Vitti. Beautiful, beautiful uh, art. Which is just gorgeous. I love the way he captures Taskmaster. I love the way he captures Black Widow. All the characters in this book are just exquisitely drawn. Lots of energy in his pencils. Dig this book a lot. Yeah, and while this isn't my preferred Nick Fury, I really like his banter back and forth with Taskmaster. Yeah. I, I think agree. they have a good buddy cop relationship going on here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I highly recommend Taskmaster. I mean, so, you know, we're two for two as far as books this week because Taskmaster was just fantastic that was. and just a lot of fun. Um, you know, we talked last week about a book from Aftershock when we were talking about next week's books uh, called Miskatonic, written by Mark Sable and Giorgio Pontrelli on art. And, uh, you know, obvi- it, kind of this... Um, 1920s era uh, mystery set in Innsmouth. You know, in, obviously you've got your uh, embrace of the Cthulhu mythos. And so I know Aaron picked it up. You didn't pick it up, did you, Wayne? Yeah, I picked it up. Oh, okay. All three of us picked it up. Um, well, and you hit on something there. You described it as a mystery book. That was my big surprise reading this book. This isn't a mystery. This is a, like, I expected a dark Cthulhu mystery. And instead, this is more of a dark Cthulhu action book. Yeah, yeah. It it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I uh, when the book starts up, I'm like, oh, it's going to be another one of those, you know, uh, uh, Alan Moore Cthulhu books that you know takes twelve issues to get to where it's going. Well, we do which, have sex it, with fish people, so we it, well, it does have some Alan Moore esque <laughs> aspects well, to it. And I do gotta say, you know, this book picks up pretty quick. You know, things happen in this book. You know, you don't get to the end of the first book going, okay, all right, that was yeah. weird. Yeah, there you might know. be something. No, you yeah. get fish people pretty quickly in the book. Well, and and just, you know, you get cultists, you know, you get you get fish people, you get weirdness in the streets, you get you get strange visions. I, I dug this book a lot, though I gotta tell you, the one thing bugged me the moment the moment I read it, uh it bugged. Okay, so I'm gonna. You guys are reading the digital version, right? Right. Yes. So I'm gonna direct you to page 21 of the digital comic, bottom panel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the 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 uh, woman agent is firing her gun, mm-hmm. and she's she's the only one firing her gun because Tom is frozen. Tom Tom, yep. you know, is so freaked out by you know the fish people and the cultists that he won't fire. So she's the only yeah. one firing her gun. And in How fact, it's his gun. Yeah, she how many shots does she fire? You can count them there on the page. Six. Six. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to flip back to <laughs> digital page number 16. How many, it's the fourth panel. How Six. many bullets does that gun hold? Well, maybe he's reloaded. He did reload. No, no, no. There are five, five. slots for bullets in that gun. <laughs> Which, oh. that that's an art problem with that. Because I what agree. gun has five slots? Yeah, I, I just... 
I I know she's she's supposed to be shooting a six shooter, but there are clearly only five bullets in that gun, and there are six hits on the cultist that she shot in the chest on the next page, on page uh, twenty two. Uh, I, I just it, it bothered me. I'm like, wait, there were five slots in that gun. Yeah, <laughs> page twenty two, which is right after page twenty one, that has yeah. a fish people orgy. Uh huh. Yeah. It does not hide its fish people. That's why I say this is not a Cthulhu mystery. This is a Cthulhu action book, and I don't know that I've read one of those. And I said it's fun. It's there's all this darkness. There's funny things, like she's running, and you have the fish person hand just barely miss her, and yeah. she doesn't see it. Well, so I love that she's in heels running across the rooftop, right? Yeah. You know. So for a while there, I thought it was going to be one of those things of he keeps seeing these horrible things, and she doesn't see it. Right. But no, pretty soon after that, she sees fish orgy. Yeah. I thought this was a good book. I, I mean, I, every book I read this week, I enjoyed. I agree. Same here. I, I thought it, I thought it was a really strong strong week for books, and uh, I'm 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 excited about the next issue on this. And I, you know, I have not read many aftershock published books before, but I thought this was really strong. Yeah, and I they immediately made me like this character too. Yeah, because they put her in a thing where she's about to be fired because she's a woman. Right. And yeah, and it's it's a transition, right? It, it's the the government transition. You got the new FBI director coming in, and he's cleaning house. Mm-hmm. And she she essentially blackmails him for her continued position. Well, I've got, I I have the. What do you think of this? You know, oh, you have that. You have that information. I guess you could stay on. You could yeah. go investigate this Cthulhu thing down in Innsmouth. <laughs> and specifically, it's Herbert Hoover that she's blackmailing. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah, I I don't know how many issues this is supposed to be. Um, it doesn't feel like something that has that that's twelve issues, given how quickly we've already gotten to some of the action. Maybe it's a four issue or a six issue. Uh, but hey, for pacing, you you, you it's definitely faster paced than uh, Prov uh Providence, I think. Providence, was, yeah. Providence was Providence, the name of that uh, yeah. Alan Moore book um, that I still I, haven't finished. I've gone all the books, but boy, <laughs> it's yeah. a slog. Yeah, it's it's a and tough one for sure. I'm hoping if she survives the story, this could be a character they come back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked her a lot. I liked her. I liked her design. I liked her her wit. I thought Mark Sable did a great job writing this book. Agreed. Yeah. All so, right. Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, next week, if you did not pick up Three Jokers in individual issues, the Three Jokers uh, hardcover comes out next week it's very quick uh, turnaround on that probably probably trying to get it out in time for the christmas market um from marvel comics everyone here except me has read and loved fantastic four number 25 i just need to read it i haven't read it yet yes paul Uh, i I bought it i just haven't read it but i will read it before next week because fantastic four issue 26 comes out next week from dan slot and rb silva we also get new issues of Once in Future and Rorschach. Um, Aaron, you said you're in for Rorschach number two. I didn't am. You? I dug Rorschach number one, so I'm in for number two. I will, and I'm going to. I'm not going to pick up Rorschach, but I will try to get caught up on Once in Future because I, I. That's a book I very much enjoyed and kind of uh, got off the uh, got off the train with it. I have. I have. Own, I own every issue, um, <laughs> but I think I, I think the last one I read was issue eight. So I've got four to read before next week. Let's see. Well, good deal. Well, we'd like to know what you thought about this week's books and what you think about where uh, the industry is going in terms of changes over there at DC. Give us a call, 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. 
You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, we'll do it all over again next week, guys. Catch you then. Maybe with Andrew. Maybe. You never know. It could happen. (laughs) Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.